now. This week in sport history. September 28, 1920. Eight Chicago White Sox players are indicted for throwing the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. The White Sox owner Charles Comiskey was notorious for underpaying players, so the result was that eight players, Chick Gandle, Buck Weaver, Happy Felsch, Swede Risberg, Fred McMullen, Eddie Seacott, Lefty Williams, and Shoeless Joe Jackson decided to throw the World Series for a payoff from a gambling syndicate led by Arnold Rothstein, a racketeering crime boss. Mm. Mm-hmm. The fix was actually largely successful because star pitcher Red Faber was injured and Seacott and Williams actually pitched in his place. Seacott's second pitch of the match struck Red's leadoff hitter Maury Rath in the back in a sign the players were going ahead with the fix. Williams lost three games before the gamblers reneged on their promise, claiming all the money was tied up in bets. The Sox players decided to double-cross them, though, winning games six and seven. It was a best of nine that year. Of course it was, yeah. Yeah, of course. (laughs) But before game eight, threats of violence against the players and their families were made, so the Sox lost game eight and the series. Aside from Weaver, the remaining players were given $5,000, about seventy-five grand in today's money, and Gandal was given $35,000, which is about half a million in today's Mm. money. A lot of money there. Yeah. Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, that is his actual name, (laughs) was appointed as the first commissioner of baseball. And although the men were acquitted in their trial in 1921, they were all banned for life and excluded from consideration from the Hall of Fame. Interestingly, St. Louis Brown's second baseman, Joe Gedeon, was also banned for placing bets after hearing of the fix himself. Hmm. Mm -hmm. September 28th, 1940, Michigan's Tom Harmon scores in just about every way imaginable in a 41 to nil win over the University of California on what also happened to be his 21st birthday. First, he returned a 94-yarder untouched on the game's opening kickoff. He then completed a 72-yard punt return after initially fumbling the catch and having to backtrack 10 yards to pick it up. And then not long after that, the fullback scored on an 86-yard TD run on a reverse where he not only evaded the Golden Bears defenders, but also missed a tackle from a fan. Bud Brennan rushed from the stands in an attempt to tackle Harmon at the three-yard line, but Harmon easily evaded him for the touchdown. It's worth noting that Brennan was halfway through his hip flask, so it makes sense that his tackle missed. He was taken off the field by police, stating many years later, I'd have stopped him if I was sober. Bullshit. (laughs) Harmon scored four touchdowns, threw for another, and kicked four extra points in the match. Michigan Day by Day reports that even though Tom Harmon was the leading scorer in 1939 and 1940, his son Mark said that his father talked just as much about the team's only loss in 1940 as he did about any of his glories. Probably because the team's only loss that season, a 7-6 to six decision at the hands of Minnesota, was due to him missing a kick for an extra point. Ooh. Hard to blame him for that for everything else he did, though. Jeez, he was yeah. a one-man team. He didn't play much in the NFL, though, from what I read. Right. A lot of it was down to going to the war around that time. Yeah, but, well, this uh, is the thing, yeah. Yeah, he pretty yeah. much played basically a season and a half. Still had a lot of really good runs in those times, though, but uh, yeah. It was a shame. Kind Different of a, times, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a what if. Yeah, indeed. September 29th, 1988, the USA beats Australia 78 to 49 to take bronze medal in Seoul in the basketball, the last time the US was represented by non professionals. Now, having said that, the team was littered with future NBA players, including David Robinson, Dan Marley, Dan. Mitch Richmond, and Danny Manning, just to name a few. Now, we actually spoke during our Olympic recap in episode 62, entitled OK Boomers, the FIFO Lockdown Games, about our previously unathletic teams. And I think we rattled off most of the guys in this team, the likes of Andrew Gaze, Phil Smythe, Ray Borner, Larry Sangstock, etc. But a great effort from the Boomers. 
this was the first bronze medal game that the Aussies had been a part of. And the Aussies would follow that with losses in the bronze medal games in the 96 Atlanta games, 2000 Sydney games, and the 2016 Rio games before finally breaking through this year. Yes. 2016 was an absolute joke though, of course. It was. Bullshit umpiring. Now, random fact, did you know that the USA's first ever basketball game at the Olympics was won 2-0? <laughs> Was that when they were using peach baskets? No, too? this was 1936. Yeah, okay. So 2-0. What I was forfeited. Spain forfeited the yeah, game. Yeah, okay. Okay. They just had enough of it. <laughs> they also didn't lose a single game in their first seven Olympics before the controversial loss to the USSR in 1972. Ah, we also talked about that one as well, Stewie, in episode 15. Good TMing. Good TMing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic TM, of course. September 29th, 1991, Bernard Langer misses a six-foot par putt on the 18th green, which would have clinched a 14-all tie and retained the Ryder Cup for Europe on the US soil. It was the United States' first win since 1983, after losses in 85, 87, and a tie in 1989. There are a couple of big controversies out of the event, though. Prior to the first day, Steve Pate, among others, was involved in a minor caravan accident, which resulted in him bruising his ribs and being sent to hospital. He set out the first three days and was set to compete on Sunday, but before his singles match with David Guilford, the US team announced that he couldn't play and that their match was automatically halved in what ended up being a crucial result in the scheme of things. This looked even worse given Pate actually played in a four-ball match earlier that day. Making things worse, though, during the four-ball match of Sevi Ballesteros and Jose Maria Alathabal versus Paul Azinger and Chip Beck, the Europeans accused the Americans of changing the compression of their ball on the seventh tee, in violation of the one-ball rule, which states you can only use one brand and model of ball during a round. Of course, the Americans denied the accusation until such time as it became apparent that they could no longer be penalised for it, and then admitted the breach of rules. Naughty, naughty. Touchy bastards. On October 1st, 1933, the New York Giants defeat the Green Bay Packers 10-7 at Borchert Field in Milwaukee, despite making a grand total of zero first downs. <laughs> wow. Funnily enough, Green Bay decided to play the game at Borchert to try and drum up bigger crowds, but only 12,467 turned up, only slightly more than would have likely turned up in Green Bay. Well, if you can't move the chains, you're not going to get fans no matter where no. you're playing. Ken Strong nailed a 39-yard field goal and Dale Burnett took a 19-yard reception in for a touchdown to give New York a 10-0 lead at half. John Bloody scored on a three-yard run for the Packers, but it wasn't enough. I did see, though, that the quarterbacks were the ones converting the touchdowns back then with the extra points. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Since 1940, the only other team to win a game without recording a first down was, funnily enough, the New York Giants, who beat Washington 14-7 in late September 1942. It beggars belief. This Week in Sport History. Thanks for listening to this Sport Blokes segment. Why not listen to the full episode and check out their Twitter at Sport Blokes.